Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for attending. And now, without further ado, to answer your questions, we welcome Commissioner Carl Benson. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for attending today's press conference. Uh, at a time when there are so many uncertainties facing intercollegiate athletics, I thought that this would be a good opportunity to address some of those issues. Uh, who's got the first question? I got a question. Uh, Trent Krim from the Independent. <laughs> really? Trent Krim from the Independent? Are you kidding me? What's your question? Well, well what makes you qualified to be a commissioner? And alive. That's the best that you can have at a time when, when we've got all these issues facing us, and that's the best question you have? That's the stupidest question I've ever heard. And really... Who let this guy in? It's no secret that the combination of the NCAA's slow reaction and the headfirst involvement of act-first, think-later politicians has allowed things like name, image, and likeness to become the free-for-all mess that we have in college sports today. But it's not like there wasn't an eminently qualified advisory board out there already that had a better plan ready to roll if someone had just bothered to ask. The Knight Commission was formed more than 30 years ago, and they continue to work towards transformational changes within the NCAA, especially in the Division I football model. They had a better NIL plan that was barely considered. Even when the recommendations have been brushed aside, the Commission has continued to push for badly needed reforms, as they were doing this week during the NCAA Constitutional Convention in Indianapolis. Amy Perko has been involved with the Knight Commission since 2005 and was named CEO in 2016. This week, she joins Knutson and the Commish to talk about proposed changes to the NCAA governing model, the college football playoff, and if there's any way to put any of this messy toothpaste back in the tube. It's another information-packed episode of Knutson and the Commish with Carl Benson and Amy Perko. Stay with us. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. Learning life skills through baseball, USA Prime is more than just travel baseball. We mentor young athletes in areas like teamwork and skill development. It's about more than winning weekend tournaments. It's about showing young players how to achieve their goals in baseball and beyond. Contact Scott Horman at USAPrimeColorado at gmail.com for more information. Carl, it seems like since we started this program, you and I have had uh, the major complaint we've had with NIL and the transfer portal and all that was that it just was thrown up, thrown into this mix with no guidelines, no guardrails, no no nothing. As Gary Patterson said before he left TCU, there is no wrong anymore because you can't have wrong when you don't have any rules. Um, and we've agreed that the NCAA was kind of late to the party in, in adapting this. The politicians got involved in their on their white horses and came in to rescue the poor student athletes and and blah, blah, blah. And then they did so without any consequences what the aftermath would be. The NCAA hasn't had much luck in, in so far in getting their arms around this mess. But there is an organization that you are very familiar with that has been trying from the get-go to do the right thing, to keep the structure of the uh, student-athlete model in, in place while allowing student-athletes to benefit from, from their work, et cetera. So I'm gonna let you introduce the guest this week because it's a really special guest really a rare opportunity to talk to somebody like this uh, and get some insight onto what exactly what uh, this organization is trying to do. Thanks, Mark. And uh, earlier today in Indianapolis and in conjunction with the NCA convention, uh, the Knight Commission conducted an open forum titled Remaking the NCAA Beyond Constitutional Reform. And with us for today's podcast, we welcome the CEO of the Knight Commission, Amy Perko. Amy's been in this role since 2005. And prior to that, she was on the NCA staff where she and I first met and worked together. Amy played basketball at Wake Forest as a member of their of the Wake Forest Hall of Fame. And in 2012, Amy received the NCAA's prestigious Silver Anniversary Award 
which is given to six former college athletes on the occasion of their 25th anniversary from college participation in recognition of their civic and professional contributions. And I can tell you that of all the NCAA conventions that, uh, that I went to over my 30 years as a commissioner, the dinner that night where these six individuals are always recognized is, is very, very, very prestigious. And uh, Amy, well, well deserved on that. So we, we appreciate your taking the time today. And, uh, you know, the Knight Commission was founded, uh, Mark, in 1991. So it has 30 years of, of background and, and history. Uh, and Amy, if you could maybe just give us a brief uh, history lesson of the commission and some bits and pieces of what it's accomplished in those 30 years and kind of tee up kind of where we are now and, and what's on the plate of the Knight Commission you know, at such a critical, critical time you know, in intercollegiate athletics. Sure, and, and thanks for having me on. Um, just real briefly, the, thought commission, the, the Knight Commission is a thought leadership group and our purpose is pretty simple. It's to lead transformational change to prioritize the athlete's education, health, safety, and success. And from its very beginnings, um, you know, the Knight Commission is independent. We're funded by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. And just like every sector of policy, uh, you often need independent um, think tanks, if you will, that will apply some research and try to develop solutions um, that, that may, you know, require some, some independent thinking. And, and that's what the Knight Commission has tried to do. When it was founded by university presidents, the goal at that time was clearly academic reform. Graduation rates for um, men's basketball and football in particular were very low. Uh, there were a number of scandals, uh, high profile scandals that really threatened the integrity of universities. So the presidents got together and said, we need to lay out a reform, a roadmap for reform. A couple of the signature um, recommendations the commission made in its early years one was that um, to be eligible for a postseason championship, March Madness, postseason bowl games, teams had to be on teams should be on track to graduate at least half their players, and that seems like a pretty reasonable standard for higher education uh, institutions for their sports programs. But at that time, there was no standard like that in place, and um, and, and the individual standards for athlete eligibility were lax as well. So. Um, it took, um, unfortunately, it took about a decade for that particular reform to be adopted. And when it was adopted, um, it was one of the reforms, uh, among others that, that uh, were adopted, that, that led to what we have today, which are record high graduation rates across the board in, in every sport, and, and football and basketball in particular have increased substantially over the past decade. So, you know, that, that's one of the signature reform efforts and, and legacies that we have. Uh, another uh, that runs to the money, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, there's a lot of money in college sports. Um, March Madness makes, you know, a billion dollars a year. Um, $600 million of that is distributed back to the Division I schools. And so who gets how much money and why is, you know, uh, often a battle. Um, but it should be tied to principles. And there are a number of principles that the NCAA incorporates in its revenue distribution program. Um, but again, when we began our work, there were no incentives or, or financial incentives around achieving the academic outcomes. And uh, 
at the time, about 40% of the money went to schools based on just the performance of their men's basketball teams. So, so we um, uh, promoted incorporating academic incentives into the revenue distribution program. That um, again, took a long time to be adopted. Uh, it was being phased in, um, just started being phased in last year. And it will mean over the course of the remaining contract uh, that the NCA has for March Madness, more than a billion dollars will be rewarded to schools based on um, you know, the academic outcomes of their athletes and not just the performance of their men's basketball teams. So, so those are kind of two signature reforms that we really you know, uh, influence significantly and I think kind of outline you know, our priority in terms of uh, impacting policy to ensure that you know, we are keeping and emphasizing the college and college sports. You know, Amy, I'm going to add one more to, to the list, and it, it coincides with, with my 29-year 29, 29 career as a, as a commissioner, that when the, the very first recommendation, and I can remember this distinctly in 1991 as I was the commissioner of the Mid-American Conference, you know, was the, the one plus three model that the, the Knight Commission came in and indicated that intercollegiate athletics needed leadership from the top down. And, and at that time, the presidential leadership within the NCA structure was really ceremonial. And, and this concept or this thought that the Knight Commission put forward, I think really was a, a significant piece in terms of the last 30 years of intercollegiate athletics and the role of, of institutions, presidents uh, that, that even go forward here today. So you know, I think I've been lucky enough to, you know, to, to watch you know, every two or three years, one of these projects. And when people ask me, you know, what is the, what is the Knight Commission? Tell me what, what is the Knight Commission? <clears throat> you know, besides what Amy said in terms of, you know, the, the think tank and the thought, you know, I characterize it really as a watchdog group and, and a very effective watchdog group because some of these other uh, splinter groups out there that, that try to, you know, to, to be the, the right, you know, the, the, the group with the white hats on, when you look at the, the signature uh, names on the Knight Commission over time from, from Bill Bradley to Tom McMillan to now Lynn Elmore and, and Arnie Duncan, uh, along with uh, you know, President uh, Hesburgh from Notre Dame and Bill Friday from North Carolina, the two uh, be, you know, beginning presidents that formed the Knight Commission, it really is a, it's a powerful group. And it, it oftentimes does not get the the recognition that it, you know, that it deserves. So, um, you know, as we kind of go fast forward from, you know, the, the, the early 90s to today, and, you know, two years ago at this time, Amy, you and I were talking about the survey that you were conducting for this, uh, this, this study of transforming the NCAA Division I model. And it started right before COVID, Mark, and yeah. it ended up being a you know 18 month project, but it uh, it had some really significant recommendations. Uh, Amy, can you kind of because I think this all is going to tie into the NCA Constitution Convention yeah. and the fact that the Knight Commission was suggesting some of these potential changes in the NCAA governance system, you know, two years ago at this time. So. Maybe, maybe we can use that as a way to segue to, uh, to where we are today. 
Yeah, great. The the um and, and as you mentioned, our our current co-chairs are Arnie Duncan, uh, Lynn Elmore, and uh, Nancy Zimper, the former chancellor at at SUNY. And, and I would just add one more note on that is that we, you know, we also have some recently graduated athletes and kind of the athlete voice and, and those who've been closest to it uh, have been some some of the most important you know discussions and inputs that that we've we've had and, and so that's really important and we'll come back to that too in terms of the governance recommendations that we've made to include more athletes and um so in terms of in, in 2019 actually uh before nil changed uh before the constitutional convention was called um our group recognized all of the different uh pressures and tensions and um you know the there's just the hyper commercial aspect in in big revenue football and um, and we said there 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 needs to be a new model for Division One, and and we embarked on a on a, a very um, deep dive with lots of different research, financial assessments, uh, a survey of Division One leaders, commissioners, ads, presidents, um, athletes, really exploring you know what should a new model look like, what should the priorities be, and you know how can we fix you know this model. Uh, to really strengthen uh, what we want to see out of college sports and, and, and the opportunities they provide to young men and women. And so out of that, uh, out of the various studies that we did, we produced uh, several different reports. One was NIL uh, in April of 2020, a year and a half before these new NIL rules went into effect. We produced uh, uh, NIL principles uh, that would have had uniformity and would have had uh, the necessary, what, what we you know, has been termed guardrails, if you will, but um, some principles that allow college athletes to earn compensation for the use of their NIL, but still uh, maintain and prohibit the pay for play. Uh, that, that was first. And then second, we, we uh, issued a report in December that called for a rethinking the structure of Division I. Uh, look, let's look at a model where FBS football uh, has its own governance entity and let the, the a lot of people, what's, what's been really interesting to us is that, you know, there are two marquee events of college sports, March Madness and the college football playoff. And the average uh, sports fan doesn't realize that the NCAA has nothing to do with the, with the college football playoff. The NCAA does not control the CFP. It's a separate entity. The NCAA uh, receives all of its revenues from March Madness primarily. Um, the CFP sends its money uh, directly to the FBS conferences, um, and the FBS conferences manage that. Um, and, and so with that in mind, one of our uh, suggestions was, you know, let's create a separate entity for FBS football to govern FBS football so it doesn't, it's not half in and half out. Um, and so there's a more unified uh, structure that, that would, we think, you know, best serve football athletes and, and best serve that sport for the future. And, and there's some, some other components of that, but that was, that was one of the results of our survey and the work that we did. Um, the most recent report that we've released is, is a different solution and, and it can be implemented under the existing governance structure where all the sports remain uh, part of the same governance entity. So it's a different approach. But this approach basically says for to move forward for division one, we need a different financial framework. And we need a framework that will better direct 
the revenues that are generated through these collective activities directly to the primary mission of education, health, and safety. And, and there need to be quantifiable ways to, to hold uh, you know, schools programs accountable for that and hold the revenue distribution entities accountable for how they distribute their revenues. Um, it, it's a big number, but the, the marquee events, March Madness, college football playoff, and the revenues that all the conferences, division one conferences generate together, you know, through their media contracts, is 3.5 billion annually. So there's a lot of good change that can be made if, if you can redirect the 3.5 billion annually to ensure that that, that money is being used to uh, support the primary mission and the, that the money is rewarded in ways that in, incentivize um, the right kinds of, of, of principles. So, you know, I can, I can give you an example and, and get into that, but that's kind of a broad overview of, of some of the major recommendations that we've made. Let me, let me ask this question real quick. Um, it's got to be frustrating to have these ideas, as you said, 20 months, a year and a half ahead of when it actually was implemented and have the politicians come in and sweep in, basically ignore what you've done and just want to ram through these feel good laws that allowed this wild west approach that we're, that we're dealing with now. Um, do you feel like you, you're not getting enough, uh, I want to say recognition, but not, not, not paying enough attention to your work because you guys are doing the, the hard work that the political people should be paying attention to when they try to go in and set laws and, and guidelines and stick their nose into college athletics where it really doesn't belong. That's yeah. gotta be really frustrating. Well, it is frustrating, but, but I think we all have to recognize that the reasons the lawmakers acted is that there's been a vacuum of leadership right. um, in college sports to be willing to create the changes that were needed. And, um, you know, NIL is, is, a, is a good example, but the, the NCAA, and it also is a good example of, um, you know, the, the, the difficulty, I guess, managers have yeah. when they're trying to debate when do we take action or, or how, how much do we listen to our attorneys on this? And, and you know, the, the Austin case was happening at the same time, and so the NCAA did not want to change the NIL rules while the Austin case was going on. You know, they're different. Uh, certainly, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty on that, but but they're, you know, in in my view, they're two totally different issues, and that's where, frankly, the media has confused it because our leaders haven't done a very good job of explaining how that was different, and and because of the strategy they took. NIL is, at least, it's supposed to be uh, non institutional funding. It's supposed right. to be money from third right. parties that any college student can go out and become a social media influencer today. And that really was, you know, the, the tipping point, I think, if you will, in terms of uh, public opinion and, and, and just overall really need to change was knowing that college students can be social media influencers and get paid, college athletes could not. So that's, again, that's third party money. Right. Uh, Austin was all about the, the benefits the institutions can provide. And, and that's the difference. The NCAA, you know, has, does, does still have enforcement authority over um, non-educational benefits that are being provided. And so that's the big question moving forward is will the NCAA enforce non-educational benefits that, that are being provided? Um, Austin only deal, dealt with educational benefits that, 
that prohibit kind of national rules now in that area. So and it may be confusing, but it's really two different, uh, two, two different issues. And, and both, both were very um, significant in terms of the, the, the media attention given to the NIL, attention given to the Austin mm -hmm. uh, case. Uh, and at the same time, intercollegiate athletics, higher education, the, the nation in general, you know, was faced with, with handling and dealing with, with COVID. And how, how impactful was COVID in kind of pushing your report aside? You know, I, I found that, that athletic directors during that spring of 2020, all the way through, you know, last spring of 2021, almost a, a full calendar year, all they could say was, you know, my hands, my, my plate is full just mm -hmm. trying to manage and maintain a, yeah. an intercollegiate yes. athletic program. So yeah. had COVID not happened, would would your report mm -hmm. have done enough to get everybody's attention that there could have been a cooperative, collaborative saying, okay, in light of this and the survey and in light of you know this notion of you know mm -hmm. a, a separate football entity mm -hmm. still under the umbrella of the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Let's get in the room and, and have this Constitution convention. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we also then throw in Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC and the whole CFP, you know, structure is now, you know, the, the, the major issue that, that we're facing out there. I, I feel bad that you know, as we go into this NCAA convention, that what started to be, you know, pretty high priority is is going to get lost in some of these quote more important issues of the day. Well, you, well, Carl, you listed a number of things there, and you're exactly right that you know part of the the problem has been so much has been coming at athletic directors all at once during an unprecedented period um, for all of us personally, professionally, in, in terms of managing COVID. I, I think with NIL, you know, it, it's just an it's an issue that's been, you know, the, the, the can's been kicked down the road for so many years. And then that's why lawmakers acted um, because they didn't trust, they've lost trust with the NCA to, to, to take the actions. In terms of one, one of the things we're really encouraged about though, is that, um, you know, we had a session just this morning with, with leaders about our newest proposal to, to connect the revenues with, with the educational mission. And a number of uh, Division One commissioners in the room, and and other leaders who who really said, you know, who said, you know, we, we read your report when it came out. It was it was more helpful to kind of hear and talking through the principles. And we also have a legal expert uh, who's been part of our work, and he was able to explain uh, why our proposal or or how our proposal. Uh, withstands antitrust scrutiny and, and why they shouldn't be scared to adopt it um, because that's really the measure that administrators are, are uh, you know, measuring whether they can move forward on things is whether it will withstand antitrust scrutiny. You know, it, they, they recognize, these leaders recognize now, you know, we can't keep putting off the big changes. And so I think they're, they're you know, really willing now to, to look at solutions. And that's really what we've been trying to do is offer solutions, again, that have been well-researched, embedded, and that tie to the principles. So here today, the NCAA, by a vote of 80%, 
uh, adopted a new constitution. The principles, Carl, didn't really change from, from those principles that were, have been in place you know, for a number of years. Uh, maybe a little bit more emphasis on athlete uh, well-being, uh, mental health, uh, physical health. But the, the, the next phase of work is the most important because it's about how do you put those principles into practice? And that's really where the problem has been in the past. And, and that's why we believe what we proposed with the financial framework should be a centerpiece for Division I because it shows from a financial standpoint, both in the incentives that are given by the NCAA, the CFP, Division I conferences, how you incentivize the right principles, and then also uh, what are the uses of, of these the $3.5 billion annually, and are those being used in the ways that further the educational mission? Amy, I got, I got kind of a two-part question here. One, um, are any of the solutions that you're putting forth or that you've advanced with the NCAA, are there any, in any ways of putting any of the toothpaste back in the tube, kind of undoing kind of the chaos that's going on right now? Or is there a way to wrap that up? And the other part of that would be, um, have you given up on the idea of, of a second, of a next uh, division four, a second or another group for, for the FBF schools? Is that that proposal you had couple years ago, has that been put on hold or dismissed altogether? Um, so in, in terms of putting the toothpaste back in the tube, I, I don't know that it's um, looking at it in that way, but I, I think we all recognize a division one model, you know, will be, it will evolve. It will look different. I, I think with regard to NIL, there's got to be some way to determine the, the the basic rule currently is that institutions cannot arrange for NIL or provide NIL, and there's big questions about whether that's um, it's unenforceable. It can't you can't enforce that. There's yeah, no way. And, and so that that's the question: is that right. going to be enforced or not? And 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 if it is going to be enforced, who's going to do it? Um, right. So so that that definitely has to be answered. But then as it relates to you know, institutional money, you know, what happens to, you know, the money being generated by the institutions, the CFP, the NCAA, you know, that, that, that's the area that we're trying to impact, um, you, you know, those revenues moving forward. And, and then, you know, as, as it relates to the, the second part of your question. Well, your model, your, your model for division four, for a new yeah. football only division, has that been tabled? Um, so I would say, the, the, our model for, and it was a model not, it was a model just specifically for the sport of football right. in the FBS division, not for all sports right. to move to a new entity. And that, that can sometimes be confused. And I bring that up too, because um, the FBS administrators didn't really like our model because they still, mm. you know, want football to be part of, of the NCA structure. The non-FBS administrators um, liked aspects of that proposal because they felt, um, you know, the football money, the CFP money should be going towards the national cost of FBS mm -hmm. football. And there should be a coupling. Even mm -hmm. university presidents say it makes sense because you should couple revenue administration authority with rules administration authority. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You shouldn't yeah. be coupled. The revenue authority from then the rules authority. Those shouldn't be in two separate places. Um, but but the the I would say the non-FBS administrators are nervous that if there's a new entity created just for the sport of football, uh, then then there is an incentive for those football powers to move all of their sports to a new yeah. entity. 
so so again the the model as 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 and I would say too this is the, an example of the type of work that that we've done to be diligent we, we um, vetted that model we had a legal assessment uh, produced by the law firm that actually represented Austin and and won the Supreme Court case 90 uh, you know assessed our, our model uh, against the antitrust to see, you know, would it create more risk, less risk, about the same risk, you know, from that, that assessment, it, it clearly creates, you know, less antitrust risk for, for the NCAA, the majority of division one, um, for an FBS football entity about the same, you know, so that's the type of vetting, the legal vetting that, that we put our model through. Um, but, but also in our view, it's best for the sport of football, it's best for the athletes, you have, um, you know, again, coupling that revenue, which is a huge revenue potential, even moving forward with creating solutions that are unique to that sport, like disability insurance and yeah. long-term medical expenses and creating Absolutely. solutions that you can't create when you're in a governance structure where the rules for, for men's and women's golf are the same as football. And that just doesn't work anymore. And people recognize that, but it's difficult to break away from the, the mold of the past. Amy, there was, there was uh, some cynicism coming into the, this constitutional convention that, that there really wasn't going to be a, a, a big difference maker. And you indicated that this new constitution was passed 80%. Was it, did it need more? Did, not, did it need more meat? Did it need more change? Did there need to be something that, that demonstrates that, that intercollegiate athletics, you know, is going to change in the future? Well, in, in terms of, you know, again, we've, we see that the, the, the work that will show whether or not there will be transformation will occur over the next six months with the division one. And I think that's what most leaders uh, were kind of resigned to accepting that, you know, the constitution is going to state the principles. It's going to state, you know, a new governance structure for the NCA Board of Governors and, and all the other hard work is going to be done in the future by this mm -hmm. Division One committee. Now that said, Carl, I would say from our perspective, what was missing is we, we requested that the Constitution include two, two key seats at the table. One, we wanted to see a requirement in the Constitution that each division governance board must have at least two voting athletes, one from each gender to make sure men's and women's sports are represented. And then secondly, have independent directors, one of which must be an expert in athlete health and safety. Um, obviously health and safety does get a lot more attention than it did in the past, but people forget the whole reason the NCAA was founded was because of health and safety, was to create you know, a, a safer sport for football. And, and, and we went away from that for a long time. Um, and, but again, from our perspective, to, to put that priority where it needed to be, there should have been a designation for an independent director with expertise in health and safety. We're continuing to push that with, um, to, to try to get that on the division governance boards. Uh, another missing factor from our view that should have been in the Constitution, you know, addresses the sport of FBS football to say that the NCAA will not continue to um, be liable as an organization for a sport for which it does not operate a championship. Um, mm. You know, technically yeah, in the Constitution, yeah. the, the Constitution um, as it currently reads is that to be considered an NCAA sport, 
to receive NCA services to um, and, and to you know to officially be an NCA sport, the NCA has to provide the championship. That's yeah. what makes it an yeah. NCA sport. And um, FBS was given an exemption to that in 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 the early years because FBS did not have a national championship. Right. But then once FBS had a national championship, that whole issue was not revisited, hmm. and um, and so that was is oftentimes kind of the elephant in the room and we we felt it should have been addressed in the constitution and mm-hmm. hasn't so we'll see if it's addressed in in division one but you know we really think it it would it, it's it's going to be difficult to have a transformed division one without addressing that issue let me ask both of you this question because we've got about five minutes left here um moving forward what do you see do you see changes big changes coming little changes coming where are things going to stand in this on these topics a year from now? Well, again, I think that the the unknown of, of FBS governance, whether you want to refer to it as CFP football, FBS football, is major college football. And right now, it's it's ten conferences, 132 universities fall under this umbrella. The financial disparity that exists in that room is growing immensely. Immensely. And uh, and I I fear that that the quote group of five you know, cannot keep up and has not been able to keep up. And that that the separation between the five autonomy conferences and the other five FBS conferences, you know, is is in jeopardy. And and at what point in time can the have nots continue to to play with the you know, the, the quote yeah, same question to you. Where do you see things about a, a year from now? Will things have changed for the better? I think there, there are a lot of big opportunities. There are also a lot of big, big uh, risk here in terms of what, you know, could a lot, a lot of different potentials. I think our big question is, will the work coming out of the transformation committee really address why this process was started in the first place, which was, you know, to ensure that the mem- the NCA could self-govern, that we don't need you know, uh, lawmakers to, to create. Yes. That would be awesome. And, and also, uh, you know, address the legal concerns about, you know, what, what can the NCA legally do? What, what should the conferences take on responsibility and, and to ensure that again, the, the, the revenues being generated collectively are uh, fairly being, um, uh, used as resources for athletes, education, health and safety, um, and other appropriate benefits. You know, one concern though, is that what could come out of, you know, this process is something that, you know, shrinks division one or subdivides division one. And and that may be okay, as long as it's done in a way that, again, best serves the college athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, again, I I think it's, um, that's why we felt like it's really important to put some solutions on the table that are principle based. But I think it's anybody's guess at this point, what, what things will look like a yeah. year from now. You guys have done uh, such market. If, if we have a, if I yeah, have a we chance do. here, let, let me ask Amy another question here that, that I think is, is the elephant in the room as well. That uh, Jim Phillips last week, the, the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, kind of surprised everybody by coming out saying that, that rather than trying to determine a structure for the, the future CFP championship, that there needs to be a 365 day comprehensive review of the sport of football mm-hmm. by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knight Commission, have you had time at all, Amy, to digest what that means and how you know how that may may interfere with the rest of this transformation uh, 
process. Well, in, in terms of uh, Jim's statement, uh, you know, I, I applaud Jim's courage to to say what their conference uh, felt needed to be the case, which which really more or less does put a halt on expansion talks. I would say that, you know, our leaders, we published and I would recommend to to your audience a an op-ed in USA Today. Um, it basically made the case that it's it's not the time to expand the CFP uh, until the CFP reforms its financial framework. Um, you know, I, I can list a number of, of issues around, you know, the distribution criteria, how the distribution criteria should change, and why there should be earmarks on a portion of that money to direct it to athlete health and safety and other specific um, areas of athletes. Um, hmm. and, and, and it's not currently done. There's no earmarks on the revenues being generated. And so our point was expanding now only expands the problems. Um, that we're all currently dealing with, including, you know, lawmaker solutions that don't, that, that sometimes create more problems than, than yes. and so we, we felt, you know, at, at a start, starting point, the CFP should adopt our, you know, we call it our care model, connecting the athletic revenues to the educational mission. And um, before uh, they look at any expansion talks, because if, you know, if distributions go from 500 million to, up to two billion, and and we already have a situation where uh, we have data that show since the CFP started, coaches' salaries in football have, have grown three times faster than athletic student aid, um, and so that that's just an example. If you don't want to keep creating, you know this the, the spending problems that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it would be easy to create earmarks and, and, and better direct those revenues. Amy, we have to let you go. We really appreciate yeah, this. This great. is great, great stuff. Um, I wish you all the best and hope, hopefully uh, the NCAA people are listening to what you're doing because they seem to not have had the time to do the work that you guys have done. You're doing their work for them. You got to be appreciative of that. Um, we're certainly appreciate you coming on the program today. Carl, bringing her on was, was a stroke of genius on your part again. You just get the best guests. Bail, awesome. bail, me, bail me out. Amy. Absolutely. Awesome. We really appreciate it. It's great stuff. I hope people have a chance to listen to this and re-listen to it, educate themselves on what we're going through. Appreciate both of you. Thanks for joining us.